community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, how many fans of the show are y'all ready? It's this week, isn't it? True fans, true fans, yeah. We are continuing our This Is Us series today. And if you are not a fan, just try to remember what it was like when Dukes of Hazard had a new season getting ready to open, right? Yeah. Uh, and you'll understand how excited the fans are. Well, we're continuing today. We've got two more weeks in this series, This Is Us, where we're looking at the relationships in life that matter most. And what do the scriptures have to say about how we do those relationships well? Because relationships are hard, they're messy, and they are essential. Well, in the opening pages of his book, <clears throat> excuse me, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, John Ortberg writes about a teacher who asked fourth graders to name and then tried to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Problems like what should we do about the ozone layer or how to quit smoking, to which eight-year-old Jake said, well, you just go into the living room, smoke, and then die in front of people. Uh, my, I guess that's a good solution for Jake. A lot of great problems this teacher uh, invited the students to tackle, but he said there was one that was tougher than all the others, one that really engaged these fourth graders more than most. And this is the question. He said, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? I want to share with you some of the student responses. Kalani, age eight, said this, people should find lonely people and ask their name and address, then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not lonely people together in the newspaper. <laughs> Obviously, this girl has the gift of administration there. Uh, Max, age nine, says this, make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it would say, how are you doing? And what happened to you today? I might not want to eat that food after that. Uh, Matt, age eight, I love this. He says, we could get people to, uh, excuse me, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. Kind of makes you wonder about Matt's understanding of marriage. Uh, but the most touching response, the one that struck the teacher's heart most was this, and it comes last. And this just broke my heart. Brian, age eight, said, sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes when I think no one loves me, I do one of these. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. We live in an age that some have described uh, as a loneliness epidemic. In spite of all of our tweeting, friending, following, and liking, in spite of all of our human achievements, people report feeling lonelier than they ever have before. Some of you all have read this just in the last year. The uh, Prime Minister of the UK appointed a brand new role to her cabinet, literally titled the Minister of Loneliness. Isn't that interesting? On our own side of the pond, our former uh, Surgeon General recently wrote an article for the Harvard Review that most, uh, he said the most common pathology that he saw as a doctor was not heart disease, not diabetes, and not cancer. He said it was loneliness, just people alone. 
He said uh, loneliness has more than doubled since the 90, 1980s. Well over 40% of Americans report suffering from loneliness at significant levels. And experts expect that the actual total is higher because when people have to put their name on the survey, they tend to report loneliness less. We don't want to admit that loneliness is something we battle. He writes, uh, it is far worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, it can be fatal. It crushes the soul. Recent study of teenagers on happiness finds that 90% of our teens today report feeling lonely. As Mother Teresa once said, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society, and nobody wants anyone to know that they are a leper. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. You would think somebody should be able to figure this out. Well, as it turns out, 2,000 years ago, somebody did. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, 2,000 years ago on the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he gathered with his closest friends around a table to share a meal. And he said, listen, guys, I've got to go back to the Father. But don't worry, I'm going to send you my spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. But here is my one command. Here is the one thing I want you to do. I want you to love one another. With billions of people in the world, somebody ought to come up with a system where nobody is lonely, and somebody did, and it's called the church. Now, a lot of people in our day don't realize this about Jesus. They think that Jesus came to start an institution or to start an organization or even to start a religion. He did not come to start any of these. Jesus came to start to form a spiritual family, a family that is defined by one another love. This is what Jesus came to do. And the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus understood this to their core to the very center of their being. In fact, this idea of one anotherness is so essential to the life of the church that it starts showing up over and over again in the New Testament. It occurs 59 times in the writings of the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, be devoted to one another. One another, one another was the heartbeat of the first century church. For the New Testament writers, it was simple. It was clear. Love one another is what the church is to be about. Now, every church has to figure out a strategy, a strategy to do this, don't they? And our strategy here at Lake Forest is community groups. And you've heard us talk about that. But behind community groups is this idea that we call belonging. And you guys know me. I'm a little bit of a word nerd. I love this word belonging. It actually comes from an old English word, galang. And you know what galang means? It means to hold hands. Literally. It means to be at hand, to extend the hand of friendship, to clasp hands. In other words, to belong is to stand in a circle where we are metaphorically, maybe even physically as we did this morning, holding hands, belonging. 
community groups or places where we can experience belonging. Small gathering of folks who are learning and discovering together how to live out this one another kind of love. So today, as we take another step in our This Is Us series, I want to talk with you about how we do that as a church. How do we belong to one another? How do we live out this calling of Jesus to love one another? Specifically, I want to look at four one another's. There are 59 of them. I'll let you do the other 55 yourself. I'm going to do four one another's this morning from the Bible to see what they might have to teach us about this one command that Jesus gives. And if they have anything to say to this epidemic of loneliness that we all experience. We game. We ready for this? Note takers, number one. Number one. Here we go. Carry one another's burdens. The first one another's carry one another's burdens. First century church planter, a guy named the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Galatia. Now listen to what he says to them to do. He writes this. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this law of Christ is the new commandment we just heard Jesus give. It's the new commandment to love, and it is a beautiful thing. And what Paul is saying here is that the way we do this, the way we fulfill the law of Christ, is by carrying one another's burdens. I've shared on a few occasions about one of the toughest seasons in my family's life. Meram was facing a rare life-threatening illness, and she was hospitalized for three weeks. Uh, it, it was simply overwhelming. Uh, the kids were very young. The family was far away. And uh, this honestly was simply more than we could carry on our own. If you've ever heard someone say, the Lord does not give you more than you can handle, that is a lie from the pit of H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> what was so amazing about this time in our lives was the way the folks from our community group surrounded us. In fact, I remember, Rob, you won't know this because you were in the hospital, uh, but three days into this, I mean, we were just coming apart at the seams. And uh, my fr- our friend Ariana called and she said, uh, how's it going? Which is like not the question you want to hear at that moment. And I said to her, I said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. And she said, can I come over and help? And you've probably had one of these moments. I, I stood there and I, I kind of, I looked around the house, right? And it looked like World War III, you know. And then I looked in the kitchen, and it looked like a science lab growing stuff. <laughs> and I did not want anybody to come in and see this, right? You don't, you don't want people in your house. You don't want them to see the mess. But I just stood there, and I didn't know how to answer. And after a few seconds of silence, Ariana said, that's okay, I'm coming over. And she just showed up. And she showed up with friends. And they came in, and they cleaned the house, and they did the laundry, and they washed the dirty dishes in the science laboratory. It was incredible. I had no idea how deep our need was for help. You see, Ariana made a critical decision. She didn't just decide to pray for us. She didn't just decide to send kind notes. She decided to show up. Because choosing to come over, choosing to enter into the mess, is what it means to carry one another's burdens. Now, carrying one another's burdens does not mean that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you are suddenly going to become responsible for everyone else's problems. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul goes on to say, just a few verses later, each one should carry their own load. 
And these two words, you know, you might think, well, Paul, make up your mind. Do we carry burdens or, or do we not? But these two words are actually very different words. Again, we talked about this just a few weeks back. The word load in this passage literally means backpack. It's the daily stuff that each person must carry on their own. And a lot of scholars have written about this, tons of scholars written, but the word burden in verse 2 is a much heavier term in the Greek. It, it would be best translated boulder. You see, no one can carry a boulder by themselves. We can only carry them together. We were made to carry them together. And here's the mysterious thing. Something Something incredibly spiritual happens when we enter into real community with people. Someone in your group, they'll be carrying a burden. Maybe it's a struggle with depression or addiction or something has happened to their kids or they're battling infertility or they're struggling financially. And because you love them and because they share this burden with you, you now have a burden. It's a mystery. But you see, something profoundly spiritual is happening in that moment. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. You take a tiny corner of that boulder and you shoulder it with them. And their burden becomes just that much lighter. They are able to endure just that much longer because you are carrying one another's burdens. You are loving one another. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, notice what Paul says or does not say here. He does not say you fix one another, which is what we like to do, right? He doesn't say you give advice to one another. He simply says you carry one another. First, one another, if we're going to experience the kind of community, the kind of one anotherness that Jesus invites us to, we must learn to carry one another's burdens. Number two builds upon this. Number two is we must learn to accept one another. Listen to how he writes it in Romans. <clears throat> Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We are to love one another. How? The way Christ loved us. And we are to accept one another the way Christ accepted us. Now the key phrase here is what? Just as Christ accepted you. We are to accept one another in this same way. And again, a lot of people will not understand this. A lot of people will miss this point. We live in such a performance-based world. We think that acceptance is conditional. That it's based on my degrees, on my net worth, on my SAT scores, or on my Ryan Gosling-like good looks. Hey, girl. But this, this, my friends, is not how Jesus accepts. He doesn't accept us because we are good enough. He doesn't accept us because we're smart enough or because we try hard enough. He accepts us for one reason and one reason alone, and that is because of his grace. That's what grace means. It's the unmerited, unearned favor of God. That's what grace is all about. I couldn't help but think about a recent grace encounter I had when I was writing this message. I recently got to visit a couple in the hospital. Uh, honestly, this is one of the best parts of my job. They just had a newborn, and I got to go visit the baby. And uh, I walked inside at just the right time. Dad was holding the newborn, and we come in, and then he said those magic words. He said, would you like to hold the baby? I'm like, oh, would I? 
<laughs> you know, because all my babies are grown. So any chance I get to hold the little ones, you know. By the way, you can do that for free if you want to volunteer in our nursery. Um, but uh, uh, anyways, so, sorry, just just a little little plug for the Kidropolis. So he, I, so I'm holding this baby, and it's just, you know, I got me thinking about how babies come to us, right? Babies come, they, they haven't done anything to earn the acceptance they receive. They, they just come out as these kind of slimy, purplish, non-vocal creatures. Well, rather vocal, but you know, they can't come. And, and we just love them, right? We, we build our lives around them. What a picture of grace. I'm holding this little bundle of grace. And it's just so powerful. And then I, I looked down, that little bundle of grace made a strange face and a little noise and then a really bad smell. And I said, here, Dad, here's your bundle of grace, right? I, I, it's not my bundle of grace, that's yours. I don't want to take it any longer. See, this is just how grace is. Jesus accepts us not for anything we have done, simply because he loves us. Now, one of the challenges is that we, we think this need for acceptance that we all feel, and boy, do we all feel it, we tend to think that this is a design flaw, that, that somehow this is something we should get over or we should grow out of. We know it in middle school. We know it in high school. We start to try and pretend it away afterwards. And as hard as we try, we just can't seem to get over it. And the reason is, is because God has placed that need for acceptance inside every human heart and every human soul. It's part of what it means to be human. And it's not just the scriptures. It's not just theologians that recognize this. Some of our leading thinkers in the field of psychology today are validating this. In fact, some of y'all will know Brene Brown. She has de uh, devoted her whole career to studying human vulnerability. Listen to the words that she writes about this. She says, the deepest of human needs is the need to be accepted just as we are. And most of us this morning, if we're honest, know exactly what she's talking about. I was thinking in my own life how often I struggle with this, right? how often I want to pretend that this isn't a need for me anymore. In fact, just this last week, I was reminded of God's grace and his acceptance of me in the most surprising of ways. It was from an interaction with a seven-year-old here at Westlake. This seven-year-old's named Abby Sweeney, and if you've ever met Abby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I asked her parents' permission to share the story. I was having one of those days where just everything was going wrong, right? I felt like I was failing on every front. I felt like I was failing as a dad. I was failing as a husband. I was failing as a pastor. I couldn't even get my boys to soccer practice on time. I was just failing everywhere. And uh, I came to the soccer field, got the boys there late, and I'm walking back to the car, and and I'm literally praying. I'm like, God. Right? Just, just I'm not going to tell you what I prayed. It was bad. Anyway, I'm just like, God. <laughs> and uh, I'm just feeling, I mean, I'm so low. I can't even, I can't even tell you. I, I'm just like, I'm ready to throw the towel in on, on all fronts. I'm walking along, praying. When across the playground, I hear the voice of Abby Sweeney. And she calls out. She says, Pastor Aaron. And I look up. And then in like a unicorn kind of way that Abby runs. She runs across the playground all the way over to me, throws her arms around me and says this, Pastor Aaron, I am so glad to see you. And you know what I felt in that moment? It wasn't just Abby that saw me. It was God who was seeing me. God was answering my prayer 
through one another Jesus-like community through the voice of a seven-year-old fourth grader. No, she's not fourth grader. First grader. Amazing. Amazing. One of the things that breaks my heart is when I hear the story of someone who comes to church, but they walk away because they don't feel like they measure up. They don't stick it out because they don't think they're good enough. They think their, their life is too messy. They think everybody else has it all together. They don't fit in, and so they give up. And church, I just need you to know something that's going to be true of us. Because if there's one thing that is not going to change at this church, it is this. We are committed to being a community that accepts people as they are. Just as Jesus accepted us. Yes, we will challenge each other to grow. Yes, we will challenge each other to love well, to sacrifice, to serve. But we will never say, I'm sorry, you are simply too messy for us. Because this church, Lake Forest Church, is not a cruise ship for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. And there is not one of us who is beyond the reach of God's grace. First, we must carry one another's burden. Secondly, we must accept one another as Jesus accepted us. Third is this. Get ready. This one hurts. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, some of y'all are thinking, uh, this is like the ads on YouTube. You're thinking, I wish I could just skip this one, right? Because let's be honest, this is a little scary. But this is such a powerful practice. The integration of confession, which is simply to disclose, to tell the truth about myself, and prayer together in Christian community can be a life-changing event. I do not fully understand this, but there's a kind of healing that God brings only when we confess, when we speak the truth about ourselves to one another. See, this was the healing that we see Jesus bring to so many in the New Testament. To Zacchaeus as he confessed cheating others financially. To the woman caught in adultery. To Peter caught in his denial. With each and every person, their confession brought freedom. Their confession brought healing. When Jesus encountered someone's shame or guilt or a secret that they had kept hidden, it didn't end his relationship with them. Quite the opposite. His knowing their secret and still loving them is what healed them. It is what transformed them. This is what made Jesus a people magnet. People desperate for this kind of love. Desperate for this kind of grace. Now the irony, here's the irony. The irony is that we try to hide because we want to be loved, right? But it's totally self-defeating. Because as long as I am successful at hiding a part of myself, I can never truly experience love from you. Because I'm always thinking, if you really knew me, you would not love me. But to be fully known, to be fully loved. Have you ever experienced that? Have you? This will change your life. You know, the funny thing about church, and there's a lot of funny stuff about church, but the funny thing about church is that Jesus came to save sinners. The lost, the messed up, the needy, the greedy, seedy people like you and me and cowboy fans. But there is something about, 
There is something about churches that when we gather on a Sunday, that we, where, where we feel this pressure, we, we feel this kind of instinct to put on or to pretend or to act like we've got it all together, to cover up. Has this ever happened to you? You wake up late on a Sunday, you pile into the minivan, you're screaming at the kids because someone forgot to bring his shoes. You're blaming your wife, even though you're the one who forgot to set the alarm. And then you get to church and people come up to you and they're like, how are you? And because you're the pastor, I mean, because you're a church member, um, (laughs) your answer is a fake one, right? Oh, we're great. Life is great. Kids are great. Dog is great. It's all great. We click into this pretend mode. What is up with that? My friends, this will kill a church. And it will kill your soul too. What if this week, just for one week, what if we tried? You don't have to do the full confession thing. What if this week we just agreed to not lie to each other? Could we start there? Like just, let's just start in the pause. We're going we're gonna to stop lying. What, what if this week when someone comes up to you after the service today, say, how are you? And you had that kind of week, like the kind of week that I had. You had that kind of week. What if you just said instead of, oh, we're great. It's great. The dogs are. What if you just said, you know what? It was a hard week. Or maybe you don't, maybe you say, you know what? I've got a lot to learn right? What if we just stopped lying? What if we began to tell the truth to one another? Now, this confessing our sins to one another is not something we do in a group this size. It wouldn't be appropriate, right? It's something that can only fully happen with a trusted brother or sister in a smaller circle, like a community group. I have a weekly practice of calling my best friend, Aaron, a man who's been in my life for 20 years, And part of that call is confessing sins to one another. We confess sins, temptations, problems, fears from the week before, and then we pray for each other. Quite simply, it has been one of the most healing relationships in my entire life. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and be healed. Fourth and finally, we're almost there. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, because we are a Bible-believing church, and because I know you want to take the Bible seriously, uh, I want you to stand up right now, turn to a stranger, and kiss them on the lips. No, I'm kidding. You guys know me too well, right? The idea here is not that we would give a sloppy wet kiss to our unknown neighbor. The idea here is that We would do something more than just say hello. That we would develop and nurture a genuine love and concern for one another. What does that look like in our world today? What does it look like to have a genuine affection for one another? Well, I saw this video of a son reconnecting with his father in the airport. And I think it describes precisely this idea of a holy kiss. Take a look at this. Isn't that beautiful? 
See, I think there's something that we have to learn from that young man. He, he sets aside whatever social proprieties we might be concerned about. He sets aside whatever our, he says, I am going to so love, so genuinely. I don't care what others are going to think. I don't know about you, but gosh, I would love to have people who love me like that. Now, we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And it would not be appropriate for us to kiss one another at church. So let me make that abundantly clear, okay? This is not a Bible license to go kiss strangers. Um, but what if we were to greet one another with something more than just a hello? I mean, that's what this holy kiss idea is about. What if we were to greet one another with, for our sake, a holy fist bump? What if we were to show genuine and real concern and care for others? Can you imagine... Can you imagine the life change that could happen in a church like that? A spiritual family that one another's one another the way that son one anothered his father. Can you imagine what God might do? A new commandment I give you, says Jesus. Love one another. See, the truth is, you and I were not meant to do life alone. That's why Jesus started this whole thing called the church. And you need it, and I need it, and other people need you, and we need each other. And if you do not yet belong, I hope you will get into a community group. I hope you will take a step. And if you don't belong yet and you're not sure about, we want to make it as easy as possible. If you're looking for a simple, non-committal first step, we have a class for you. It's called Welcome 101. It's three Sunday afternoons. It starts next week. Do not remain a stranger. What might God do in your life as you take a step towards belonging? What might God do in your life as you lean in to one another? With billions of people in the world, somebody should think of a system where nobody is lonely and somebody did and his name was Jesus and the cost was the cross and the place is the church and the secret is love. Will you pray with me? Before we pray, I want to invite you to do this. You don't need to. You can feel free, but... It may be that you're sitting next to somebody who has carried or is carrying a heavy burden, a heavy boulder, even now. And this is family, and no one should come to family and be alone or feel alone or leave alone. So if you just want to grab the hand of that person next to you, or if it's appropriate, put your arm on their shoulder. Again, feel great freedom. There's no pressure to do this. If it's somebody you don't know, you don't need to. But just as God leads, if there's a way that you want to express this with your body, that you are not alone, that you are not carrying that boulder alone, you don't carry that guilt alone, you don't carry that hurt alone, I'm with you. I've got you. 